This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This podcast is supported by FedEx. FedEx offers fast delivery, more visibility, simple returns, and weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. population on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. With FedEx, you get picture proof of delivery, ensuring you always know where your package is. Returns are simple with packageless and paperless returns. Plus, FedEx Ground is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. So, what are you waiting for? See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. This episode of Travel Today with Peter Greenberg is brought to you by audible.com a leading provider of spoken audio information and entertainment. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. It's time for Peter Greenberg Worldwide with America's number one travel news journalist. And now, the man who travels over 400,000 miles each year, your travel detective, Peter Greenberg. Hi, everybody. Peter Greenberg here, and welcome to the podcast that's done from a different location around the world every single week. One day Canada, the next day Thailand, then New York, London. You just never know. This week, we come to you from Pony Express Territory. There's so much history here, and yet people don't realize that the Pony Express as an entity was not, it didn't exist for 20 years, it didn't exist for 15 years or five years, it existed for about 19 months, and yet it is, it is firmly emboldened in the legend and history of, of America. And joining me now, the president of the Pony Express territory, Ed Spear. How are you, man? I'm great. How are you doing today? I'm good. Now, you heard my intro. It really only did exist for 19 months, didn't it? 19 months, that was it. Young men running across the country, St. Joseph to Sacramento, unbelievable. And and what what eclipsed it? Why did it stop? Telegraph. Other other things started taking Once place. Once they got the lines up, yeah, 
That, that was it. That was it. But you know what's it's, it's and the, the trains. Yeah, the trains, absolutely. Uh, but if you think about it, and, and, you know, Nevada's the Basin and Range, which that new uh, monument down there is being named after, but it's the most mountainous state of the Union with 314 mountain ranges across Nevada. You know what? That is a surprise to me and most people listening to this show. Well, that I'm, you're I'm the sure. most mountainous range. It is. There's 314 of them. In the state, you know, there's some bigger mountain ranges, but when you take that problem along with being a high plains desert, arid desert. How these guys make it? Unbelievable. I spent my, most of my life in the, on ranches and, and horseback. They were tough. They were double tough. And the animals they Either run. they were tough or they were really drunk. Because, I mean, how do you get through that? Boy, you know, you just need to get on the trail once to, to really respect what they actually did. And it's, it's one of those things that you hear about it and you're excited about it and you, you see the old stations and you see these canyons. And, you know, I have a lot of people ask me, how far apart were the stations? Well, you know, the stations were actually based on what a horse could do <laughs> and to the nearest water. I mean, if it was really steep terrain, the stations had to be closer together. If it was so, easy. Okay, so give me an example of, of what was the closest station and what was the furthest station. Well, I don't even know what the closest one was, but when you come out of Egan Canyon, that's north of Ely, Cherry Creek, that's where I spent most of my time. The stations were only like four miles apart or four and a half miles apart because they were that's, going That's up, nothing. They were going straight up. Straight up and straight down in other canyons, and then it hit a, a, a flat or a basin, and they could go 15 miles. So there's it, it, a lot of variables in there, but you, you always get that question. How okay, now. stations? I got to ask the really stupid question. Okay. okay. It's coming. Here it comes. Okay. <laughs> Wait, do you see it? Those hills are still there today. Yes, they okay. are. So if I'm in my car and I'm going up the hill and the car breaks down, I can get on my cell phone, assuming I have any kind of signal, or I can stand by the road until somebody else comes by and helps me, right? Or somebody comes and tows the car. When the horse broke down, who'd you call? You couldn't call. There was no phone. There was no nothing. Nope, they just waited. And actually, if you, you know, I, there's some places, a couple of guys didn't make it uh, for whatever reasons. They didn't go out and look for you either. <laughs> well, there's a great incentive to join. <laughs> <laughs> you had to be orphaned. Remember, you had the whole story, you know. But yeah, they were young, tough men. That's all there is to it. And they had nothing else to do, so they did this. Well, they were paid well for the time. Yeah, uh, we're going to pay you great if you show up. If you survive. If you survive. Yeah, they, they preferred orphans that could get, handle the gun fairly easy. They got $50 a month, and put that in perspective, that's yeah. a lot of money. Okay, $50 a month and all the bullets you could eat. And all the horse meat you could digest if the horse broke down because no one was coming to look for you. Other than that, it was a great job. Great job. And, and Excuse me, but what are the other benefits? There were no other benefits. No, there wasn't, no. They anticipated a lot of life, life loss, I'm sure. But, you know, it, it but amazes me more about it than anything is, and, and when he first called me about the Point Express territory, you know, parallel come across this country, and it pretty well, pretty well mark, has a mark in history that will never be forgotten. And there's so many things that come and go. If it's not a war, if it's not a tragedy, it stays in, it disappears. But the Point Express is never going to disappear. They rewrite, rerun it every year. Uh, you can still get the Pony Express stamp from the Pony Express riders when they do it. So it's kind of uh, part of our history, heritage. It's and by the way, when they, when they wanted the orphans, they wanted orphans who didn't weigh a lot. That's exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, lean they and want, mean. They wanted jockeys. Exactly right. I mean, lean literally. Yeah. The weight-wise is exactly what they wanted, yeah. Right, and they gave them a pistol, no rifle. And a Bible. And a Bible. Wow. 
Another benefit. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah. What am I going to be doing on the trail? Uh, praying a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how many of them could even read. I don't know. <laughs> wow. You're too I mean, No, but, I mean, when you think about it, I yeah. mean, these guys really were taking a, taking a huge chance. Yes, they did. How many did they lose? I don't know. They lost three or four that I know of, but I, I don't know how many they lost. I don't think they lost as many as you would think. Yeah. They anticipated losing more. That's why I think they had what they had written in there. Right. They had some Indian issues, and I think it was Pony Bob Haslam that took the longest ride of all because the other guys offered his monthly raise, monthly salary right. to take his turn. So Now, they had to take a loyalty oath. Mm-hmm. What was that oath? <laughs> you know, it's, it's sort of like you could get killed on the range or in the, on the trail, uh, but if you don't listen to the loyalty oath, we'll kill you anyway. I mean, what, 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 <laughs> I don't think it's quite that tough. But. I know, but hey, yeah, take a loyalty. Now, yeah. now, the Pony Express never, ever made any money, did it? No. It was a financial disaster. Well, because it's a tenure. It was a lot of investment for a short operation. I mean, I think had the things come in earlier, so it lasted longer, possibly they could have made money, but, you know, it was a 10 bucks or something, a letter. I mean, it, <laughs> and you can't pack many letters in them little pouches. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. And to, think, and to think today we have Federal Express. Amazing. Wow. Amazing how far we've come. And yet they still do that ride every year, don't they? Every year. Yeah. How long? 1,800 miles. Wow. 1,800 miles. But that, now you have escorts. Well, actually, yeah, and the nice relays, and they do. But, you know, they're still, it's still pretty darn tough because they take the exact same trail. You know, when you referred that earlier about the horse breaking down, I assumed you were taking your car on a Pony Express trail, and I was going to tell you, if you – if you take your car on a Point Express trail, which a lot of it you can, and you break down, you better have hiking shoes on <laughs> and a lot of water. And a Bible. Yeah. <laughs> Head Spear, <laughs> the president of the Pony Express Territory, man. I really, I really appreciate that. Toto, I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. I'm one of those people who can actually tell you I've been to Fallon, Nevada. <laughs> uh, my guest is laughing here, but I'll get to that in a second. And the reason why I've been here is because many years ago I produced a movie called Red Flag out of Nellis Air Force Base in Las Vegas. And, of course, what do we do? We jumped into some F-4s and F-5s and F-15s, and we flew all over Nevada because all of Nevada just about is owned by the BLM, the Bureau of Land Management. And, you're over, and, our, and our battleground was literally over the desert not just in, at Nellis, but in northern Nevada as well, where they've got a naval air station right here in Fallon. So lots of history here. But I flew over it. Now I'm actually in it. <laughs> and my guest right now knows all about it, Donna Cassette from the Churchill County Museum. There is a lot of history here, isn't there? Yes, there is. There, we have, um, I, I would consider Fallon as being uh, a hub of, of everything in Nevada, I think. Now, you know, I mentioned the naval air station at Fallon. People forget the Top Gun is now the training uh, for the U.S. Navy. Yes. Exactly. Now, I mean, people laugh when I, when I mention this, and I used to laugh when people mentioned this. That, 
what would the U.S. Navy be doing with a base in the desert? <laughs> Correct. Um, I would assume that this was a perfect place to train. You can both train on land. It's not too far from the ocean. And a perfect place to store and test weapons. Yes, correct. Because you're not going to hurt anybody because you've got so much land out here to play with. We do. It's quite, and most, most people don't realize that you look at any Air Force in the world, their biggest problem in terms of flight training is they don't have enough real estate to play in. You got it here. Yes, and I think they're acquiring more. <laughs> So when we talk about the history here, you heard me say, you know, here we are on Pony Express territory. We really are. Yes, we are. It runs right just south of the city of Fallon, and it goes um, through our county. And it was a pivotal point in, you know, uh, technology as as we know as far as uh, the mail running through. You know, somebody said to me the other day, they said, you want to understand Nevada. 90% of it's owned by the government. Mm-hmm. 8% is owned by the railroads. Yes. <laughs> And then there are a couple of guys with horses. <laughs> I mean, when you think about it, I'm, I'm being too general here, but the point is that's really the way it was made up. Yes, yes. It, it, was, it pretty much has uh, a lot of public lands, and the Pony Express, as it ran through the area, it brought you know a connection between the west and the east, and it was pivotal in you know the creation of Nevada also. When we talk about the Pony Express trip, how long did it run? I think it ran about a year. But I'm talking about how long in terms of mileage did it run? Oh, I'm, I, I know it went from uh, St. Louis all the way, I think, all the way over to um, California. So this was a pit stop? Yes. It was one of many along the way. <laughs> exactly. And of course, let's not forget the Indian heritage. Correct. And yeah. the tribes are still here. Yes, we are. And I am also Northern Paiute, and uh, I come from a long line of uh, notable uh, Native Americans in Nevada. Well, let's talk about that, because if I'm going into, into the southern and the southwest, we're talking Apache, mm-hmm. right? But Paiute, people don't know that much about. Correct. Um, well, I know that you've probably flown into Reno, and you drove along of course. here to Fallon, and you rode along a river called Truckee River. Now, you know what I know about the Truckee River? You're going to laugh at me. Let's, you let's hear know, it. Okay, you're going to laugh. I guarantee you're going to laugh. <laughs> In the 1950s, Reno was the divorce capital of America. Correct. Right? I mean, everybody came to get because it was the quick home of the quickie divorce. Yes, it was. Am I right? Yes, it was. So the very famous photographs were of the of the newly divorced women throwing their rings Things into the, the Truckee River. Yes. How many rings did they actually find in that river? I don't know. You know what? I don't think they found very many because you know what? They all said they threw it in. You bet they had it appraised and got money back. Money. Come on. Because there's a pawn shop right up the road. You, you know it. Okay. That's right. But I mean, that's how I know about the Truckee. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, the Truckee River was actually named after one of my great-grandfathers, and he, his name was Captain Truckee. He met with um, John C. Fremont and uh, in guiding him over into California, creating the trail, the California Trail into California. And um, with the Northern Paiute people, it was pretty interesting to see the dynamics, or at least nowadays read about it, of how the relationship was with the first contacts with non-natives in this area and it was always held with friendship and then as we know history kind of um dictated with what happened later sure well, i want to talk about that because sure. there, there were the paiute wars yes the right? 1860 and wars. in fact that's when the pony express stopped briefly because they couldn't get through if you are continuing on to another southwest destination Please make sure that you check the monitors inside the terminal for your proper gate and flight information. If you are continuing on with another airline, we really don't care. I am a passenger. There were wars here. 
Yes, there was some major wars happening here. And the, in particular, it would have been the Paiute Wars of 1860. And that is very well noted in Nevada history. And that happened in the area of between, between Silver Springs and Pyramid Lake. And there was a little ranch that sparked it was because of conflict of encroaching upon traditional foods, uh, the timber, the pinet hills. And it, it, it literally started coming to a point in time where Native people were actually starving to death because they weren't able to... They were cut off. Yes, it, from the traditional foods. Yes, they were being rounded up and placed on uh, reservations as we know them. Um, and it came to a point where two Indian girls actually were abducted and stored away for safekeeping, Lord knows what. And uh, and people were really concerned about it. And a well-known tracker, Captain Sue, went and located those two girls at Williams Station. And from there, uh, the Williams brothers were attacked by our Paiute men, our and the, Paiute warriors. And the war started. And the war started, correct. And... Uh, the result of that was the Paiutes were very successful in, walk in, excuse me, in the Pyramid Lake area in obtaining a large piece of ground to where they can actually uh, continue their traditional way of living. Till today. Correct. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And now, isn't it interesting that, that Fallon is called the Oasis of Nevada? Yeah. It's How did that happen? <laughs> it is because uh, the Newlands Project came through in about 18 or 1906. And what was that project? The Newlands Project was an Army Corps of Engineer project that dammed up the Carson River, and it rerouted a portion of the, the Truckee River over to the Carson River so we can feed the dam to feed uh, more water into the Lahontan area so that you can farm the desert. And in doing so, uh, created a wonderful farming district as we have now called you know the Lahontan Valley and uh, farmers were able to produce, produce many different crops. That they could never have done before. Correct, in, by using the water from, and we do flood irrigation here. Now, it's interesting because your museum has lots of different artifacts and historical objects, and obviously anybody can go see that, but you also run some tours. We do. The cave tours, tell me about that. Well, we just celebrated not too long ago our 30th anniversary, along with the Bureau of Land Management, in giving tours to the Hidden Cave. Now, the Hidden Cave is located about 12 miles east along Highway 50, uh, the Lincoln By the way, highway. anytime you say anything here, it's always going to be along Highway 50. You know that. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's Come on. right. <laughs> and it's... Uh, you can say two things about it. Down by the river or it's along Highway along 50. Along Highway 50, okay, that's fine. right. Yeah. <laughs> and we're 12 miles out on, along that Everybody's <laughs> 12 miles out. Okay, keep going. And uh, what you would do on every second and fourth Saturday of each month, Bureau of Land Management provides free public tours to the Hidden Cave, and what you would see is is a guided tour. You cannot get in the cave otherwise because there is a big steel door on the Hidden Cave itself. But if you wanted to go out there, I love without, it. If you're looking for the Hidden Cave, look for the big, big steel, steel door. door. Okay, fine. <laughs> <laughs> but there are two other caves out there as well: Picnic Cave and Burton Cave that you do not need a guided guide okay. to take you through. But when you go through there, the guides are very well versed in the history of uh, the the tribes in the area, along with the archaeological dig that happened in the cave in the 20s, the 40s, and the 70s. And it just gives a wealth of information. And uh, more honestly, we prefer people to go to this, and we really encourage it. There's a wealth of information that you can learn about the history of the people here. And um, 
this is a premier archaeological place to go visit, I would say, in, in Nevada. And admission is? The mission. Uh, the admission is. The admission is free. There's what both we're to the Churchill County Museum and uh, the public tours to Hidden Cave. Love that. Yes. All right. Now let's talk about the loneliest road in America. Here. The loneliest. This road. goes back to what Life Magazine. Somebody yes. right back 1986. Yes, uh, an individual came through, and I don't think he even came to uh, to Nevada to even. He never even showed up. He never even showed up. Well, he, he just, just, he just read he, some he, correspondence. He proclaimed this from a distance. Correct. And he, he uh, pronounced it the loneliest road in America. And some people really got up in arms over that and really wanted to um, say, you know, we love our state. As with any other, any other state, they love their state that they live in. But it, the community was able to turn it around and say we are the loneliest highway in America. And, and are you? Yeah. Well, yeah, pretty much. So and he was right even though he never showed up. <laughs> but it's not, it doesn't have uh, a, a negative impact. You know, what, what makes it the loneliest? It's because you can travel long distances and people go at their own speed. And there's, it's not a major highway like the highway 80 yeah and it's it's just a way you can get to know america on your own on your own grounds either that or they'll never find the bodies or they'll never find the bodies you know there's a lot of open space <laughs> which means if you're looking for bodies take it at your own speed you might find a few <laughs> riding along in my automobile my baby beside me at the wheel cruising and playing the radio with no particular place to go. Audible.com has more than 150,000 titles and virtually every genre. So check it out for yourself. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. You heard me mention Pony Express Territory. Well, that also includes a place called Eli. Ely. Well, you see, there's Ely, there's Eli, Minnesota. Ah, yes, but we're Ely, Nevada. Okay, I've been corrected by Mark Bassett. <laughs> You're in trouble now. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Who's the president of the Nevada Northern Railway Museum. Correct. I got that one right. You did. Okay, yes. good. So, and, and how far away is, 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 uh, is Ely? Ely is actually the most remote incorporated city in the United States. When you, if we're 300 miles from Fallon here, 240 miles north of Las Vegas, 240 miles west of Salt Lake City. Yeah, but who's counting? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> hey, but, you know, I, I said this earlier in the show, you know, when I, people say to me, you know, if you want to understand Nevada, you know, it's 90% owned by government in terms of the land and, and then, you know, then the railroads. At least they used to, right? And and then a couple of guys on horses. That's about it. That is about it. Yeah. Uh, when you leave uh, any of the cities to get to Ely, it is quite the experience. It is a drive without much traffic. In fact, uh, Ely is at the end of the loneliest road in America. And is it is it really the loneliest road? Actually, U.S. 6 from Ely to Tonopah is the loneliest road. It's about 160 miles, and I've taken that and only seen one car. Well, I, I have to tell you my story. Years ago, when I was working for the local CBS affiliate in Los Angeles, we were going up to Tonopah uh, to do a story on, on the Air Force because they were using it for a bombing range and out of Nellis Air Force Base in, mm -hmm. in Las Vegas. 
and I rented a car. And I said, you know what? In those days, Nevada didn't have a speed limit. Right. Remember that? Yes. Okay. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. So, in, in, so I went to Hertz in, in, in Las Vegas. And I said, give me the biggest car you've got with cruise control. <laughs> right? And they gave me this big Lincoln Continental. Right? So I get this car. And I put it on cruise control and because we needed to get up to Tonopah, which is like a four-hour drive from, Correct. from Las Vegas. So I'm flooring this thing. We're going 110 miles an hour. I mean, and there's, I don't see anybody. Yep. Right? Zero. <laughs> right? We get up there. I'm not making this story up. I can, I can tell the story now. You know why? Because the statute of limitations has expired. Okay? <laughs> so I'm seeing nobody on this road. And we get up there. We do the story with the, with, with the Air Force and all the stuff up there. Right? Now it's time to come back. And I'm with, uh, you remember Pat O'Brien? Oh, seat? yeah. Okay, Pat O'Brien was our correspondent. He was with me in the car. So he, I'm driving. He's in the right seat. And we are now back on cruise control, 110 miles an hour. And by the way, how hot was it that day? Hot. hot. Okay. I mean, we're talking, it was about 110. Mm-hmm. And we were going 110. <laughs> we're going down the road, right? And we're about an hour and a half outside of Las Vegas. And Pat had the attention span of a flea. And we're sitting there, and he goes, is this a rental car? I said, yeah he said great and he starts like pulling the fabric out of the seats and he's like he's just like destroying the car he's, he's taking the rear view you don't need this he pulls the rear view mirror i said what are you doing it's a re- i have to pay for this and and he's and, and, and he's taking the glove compartment and pulling it down and, and i mean everything is falling apart Every, everything the the, the 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 fabric liner the visor everything's good i said you're nuts now in those days when you approach the airport you return the rental car right there you didn't go to a remote lot and they had these speed bumps, these big speed bumps at McCarran, right? Yep. Now, remember, we've now been in this Lincoln Continental for eight hours going 110 miles an hour on speed control in 110-degree weather, right? <laughs> we are beating the you-know-what out of this car, and now he's destroyed the interior, and I have to return this car. <laughs> we made it over one speed bump, and the engine fell out. Oh. <laughs> it's dragging on the street. And now I've got a car that's smoking, right? It's like the Blues Brothers, right? I've got a car that's smoking. I've got a car that's completely decrepit, right? It's completely destroyed on the inside. And Pat O'Brien jumps out of the car and says, see you later. I'm like, <laughs> what? I now have to go return this car. So I figured, okay, I have to come up with a, right? I have to come up with a story. And here's this car, literally in front of the Hertz place. It's close to being on fire, right? So I walked up with my Hertz rental car guys. I don't know what happened. I was driving to Tony Pa, and I looked, and the thing, look, I, I became Jerry Lewis. Right? <laughs> and, and the guy looked at me and said, okay. I went, okay. I ran to that gate. <laughs> that was Tonopah. Yes. And thank God it was the loneliest road because we were really going 110 for four hours straight. Yep. You, you could have done it back then. But before we run out of time, because we're going we're gonna to go to another segment now because I, right. I, I hogged all your time. <laughs> Let's talk about the railway because that to me is, is great romance. It's great history. It's, it's great storytelling. And the, ama- the amazing thing about the Nevada Northern Railway is it's a time capsule. Uh, we are essentially the same as it has been for the past century. We have the original locomotives that were delivered in 1909 and 1910 still in operation today. Steam. Steam, Man, of course. Love it. And, and we have a real great program where we actually allow – visitors to be the engineer otherwise known as idiots like me yes <laughs> hello uh, this is your captain speaking there is absolutely no cause for alarm it's a motor running head out on the highway 
When we last left off, you were making the bold decision to allow me anywhere near one of your trains. Yes, we actually do that. Uh, one of our challenges, of course, is we have the, this entire National Historic Landmark in the most remote city. And uh, believe it or not, it costs money to operate. And uh, so we have very, very unusual programs that you just can't do anywhere else. Like? Like the most unusual one is to be the engineer where after some training and the rules test, Peter, <laughs> after you pass that, we do allow people to get into the cab and actually operate the locomotive seven miles down the track and back again. So basically what you're telling me is I can't return the train. And say, I was on the train. I don't know what no, happened. No, that's not okay. going to work. Okay, fine. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing, too, is, you know, uh, Mark Twain lived here in Nevada, so we took a page out of Tom Sawyer. We have Railroad Reality Week where people actually pay us to work on the railroad for a week. Oh, my God, that's great. It is. And uh, what we do is, again, they have to go through our safety training, take the rules test, but then we have them work in the shops on the equipment. We have them uh, work with the operating crew getting a train over the hill. We have them work on- We're talking about a seven mile ride. A seven mile ride, yes. Wow. And uh, then we also have them work on track. And then graduation is where they have to operate a locomotive and actually do some switching in the yard. Do so, they go through tunnels? They do go through tunnels. Ooh. Yes. And uh, you learn all about gravity because our trip seven miles uphill Turn around. What comes up has to come down. Has and to you, come down. And you got to break it right. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Because uh, if you don't, you get to go real fast. Yeah, no, yeah. yeah and, and that's when I return the train going, I have no <laughs> I idea what happened. Okay, fine. <laughs> How much does it cost? Um, to work on the train? To work on the train, we actually, that's about $895. For the to, week? For the week. Does that exactly. include, does it include accommodations? No, it doesn't. You have to, but we do have a caboose in the yard that you could spend the night in. And if we you're also, very, very bad. No, actually, we have people come all over to spend the night in our tin teepee. So it, uh, it Unbelievable. is. It is. And, and it, people really will spend a lot of money to do this because it's an experience they can't get anywhere else. And we're... The more a person wants to do, the more we let them do as long as they do it safely. And uh, we're very open. We let people, really, this is hands-on, in-your-face railroading. This is the type of stuff that built our country, and uh, it is really amazing. How there. did you get involved in this? I've loved trains since I was knee-high to a grasshopper. Did you have a Lionel train set? Absolutely. With the milk cans? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I used to be, I was just fascinated with the milk cans. Oh, yes, Those kind of come flying out, you know. <laughs> the old black transformers, the oh, red yes. and the green. Oh, my God. Oh, I actually got myself in trouble with that because on one April Fool's Day, we did a huge story about how we were going to save money by converting our locomotive into an electric locomotive, and the dispatcher was going to control it with the transformer in the dispatching office. And uh, people actually believed the story. They did. Yes. So. They were old enough to believe it. They were old enough to believe it. That's very true, You know, too. I, have, I have an admission to make. When I was growing up in Manhattan, I did not have a Lionel train set. So when I visited some of my friends in, like, the, the suburban communities like Larchmont, and they did, I didn't want to come home. Oh, yes. Uh, because it was so cool. Absolutely. I mean, you couldn't have that in an apartment in New York, you know? But, no. No. But I'm telling you, somebody wants to give me a present before I completely croak. <laughs> Give me a room like the size of where we are right now in Fallon mm -hmm. with the whole train set going. I, I won't come out. There you go. I can understand But that. if you want to play for real, you go to Ely. You go to Ely. and Because you guys call yourself essentially an anti-museum. We do. And the reason we say that is because most people, when they go to a museum, they expect to go into a building. 
here the number one question we get asked is where's the museum and well, you're looking at it you're you're standing in the middle of it because it's over 70 buildings and structures 70 70 and it is a little it is the complete complex left over from 1905 and who had the vision to keep it because that's not the american tradition we were very, very fortunate. Ely, the railroad was built to support the copper mine there. When the copper mine ended in 1983, the community said, uh-oh, there goes the major employer. We better not, yeah. Yeah, so they went to the copper company and said, hey, could, we, uh, could you run ch charter trains for us? And they said, we're a copper company. We don't do that. So they dropped back, they thought, and they went back to the copper company and said, hey, can you just give us the railroad? You don't need it anymore. And they went, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and that was it. And that was it. So I love it. We have clearance, Clarence. Roger, Roger. What's our vector, Victor? Now I radio clearance over. That's Clarence over. Over. Roger. Huh? You know, I've been talking throughout the entire show of Pony Express territory. Well, my next guest knows a little bit about that. He's, the, uh, he's with the National Pony Express Association. Yes, they have an association, ladies yes, and gentlemen. Yes, they do. And, uh, and his name is David Kittle. There's really an association. There is an association. And it's how, do you join, how do you become a member? Uh, you have to go to our website. And uh, you can go to any one of the eight states that are listed there. Because those are the eight states where the Pony Express ran through. Where the Pony, Pony Express Trail went through. And they all have their own forms that you fill out for their state. Right, but you don't have to be a horse rider. No, you no. don't have to be a horse rider. Just if you want to participate, you can. You uh, know, you know the, the legend of the Pony Express, I mean, some of it's been blown one way, some of it's blown another way. So, some of it is apocryphal, some of it isn't. Uh, but one thing that's, that I think we can say that it was, it really was the network that kept this part of the world together. Yes, it, yes, it was. Um, it was the fastest mail service we could provide at that time. By the way, it's still faster than a lot of service today. Uh, yes, it is. We do the rewrite every year in June, and we still do it in 10 days between St. Joseph, Missouri and Sacramento, California. And you're riding it? And we ride it. It takes about 650 riders. And how many horses? About 700 or so. <laughs> and how many horses were at the end of the show? <laughs> <laughs> oh, not many. No, not many. Exactly. Um, but... In terms of the history, I mean, you, you heard me say it just a minute ago. I mean, it really was the fabric that kept communities together because it was the lifeline. It was the lifeline between the East and the West. And if you wanted something to go between New York and San Francisco, you, you chose the Pony Express to go. But it, you know, it's one thing to choose the Pony Express. The other things were the, were the harsh realities of, of the situation. Weight was a problem. You, you couldn't, you know, I mean... There was a limit to what they could take. Yes, and that's why all letters were limited to a half ounce as opposed to one ounce today. Really? Uh, it was that, so it was that precise? It. it was that precise? It was that precise. Uh, so how much weight I'm, could a Pony Express rider carry on one horse? About 35 to 40 pounds. But that was it? Yeah, that was it. He sat on, he sat on the mochila, which is the bag that they used to carry the, the mail in. It had four cantinas and they filled the cantinas with the mail, and they locked three and left one open for mail being delivered between St. Joe and Sacramento. Sure, they would fill them up along the way. pick him up along the way. Wow. You know, we, today we talk about airline hubs and spokes, 
you guys are the original hub and spokes. Yes, we flew. Sort of. Sort of. Yeah, but you were actually stopping, picking up, delivering, stopping, picking up, delivering. Yes, along the way. Right, as opposed to nonstop, you had stops. <laughs> right, but there weren't many towns in those days, so it wasn't a, a huge problem. So, okay, in those eight states, how many? there were only eight stops? No, there were more than oh, that. Oh, no, 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 there, were, there was more than that. Yeah, because in certain states you had more stops. But right. in Nevada? Nevada, Ely, you, you were on the, on the western side. Yeah. Uh, we didn't go into Ely. Actually, we came across um, pretty much high. We came across from um, Salt Lake City coming south of the desert there into Nevada and then across the mountains to Austin. Now, Austin is where we picked up Highway 50. And there we and go. Pretty much followed Highway 50 all the way over to California. Wow. Well, when you take that ride today uh, and when you do that annual event, uh-huh. What's the biggest surprise that still lingers with you that goes, you know, like, they did that really? Not only did they do that, but in some instances, we can experience exactly what they went through when you get into the mountains. Like? Um, like coming off of uh, the Diamond Mountain at 12 o'clock midnight, and you have tall trees, so a full moon doesn't help you. It's dark. And I have a friend uh, who rides that, and I ask him how you do it. And he says, well, you get on your horse, you grab the horn, you stand up in the stirrups, and hang on. <laughs> he says, she'll stop at the bottom. Wow. Did they do a lot of riding at night? Yes, we ride 24-7. And but they, in the old in days? In the old days, they rode 24-7. Their average ride, uh, oh, 15 miles, you could exchange a horse. 15 to 25. They had a very liberal exchange program, did they? Uh, yeah, two minutes. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, um, an average rider rode 110 miles a day, 80 to 110. That that, is, that's huge. That is huge, yes. I mean, even by today's standards. I mean, you're oh, as, yeah. oh my God. Yeah, today, today uh, our average rides are uh, 10 to 15. Right. Maybe 20 in some instances. See, after 10 to 15 miles, you'd have to change riders, otherwise known as me. Yeah. Yeah. You've been listening to Peter Greenberg Worldwide. Catch us each week as we broadcast from a new location somewhere around the world. One. Two, three, four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and maybe more importantly, on your life. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app. It was the biggest scandal in pop music. The stars of Milli Vanilli, the Grammy-winning multi-platinum R&B phenomenon, were exposed as frauds. But none of this was their idea. So whose idea was it? 
Enter German music producer Frank Varian. He saw the success of acts like Michael Jackson and Prince, and he wanted in, no matter the cost. So he devised the perfect pop heist. Two once-in-a-lifetime talents who were charismatic, full of sex appeal, and phenomenal dancers. The only problem? They couldn't sing. But Frank knew just how to fix that. Wondery's new podcast, Blame It on the Fame, dives into one of pop music's greatest controversies and takes a never-before-heard look at the exploitation of two young Black artists. Millie Vanilli set the world on fire, but when the truth came out, Rob and Fab were the only ones who got burned. Looking back now, it's hard not to wonder, why did everyone blame them and not the man pulling the strings? Follow Blame It on the Fame, Millie Vanilli, on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of Blame It on the Fame early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus.